Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon Reads, A Song of Ice and Fire, episode 177, Brand Six in a Clash of Kings. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. You sure are, Tiger. <laughs> sure am. That's me. <laughs> you sure are. Uh, Hello, welcome aboard. The seas come to Winterfell. Theon's fucking up. It's going to be a heck of a chapter. A heek of a, a chapter? A lot of emotions. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, yes. <laughs> yes, good job, <laughs> Eliana. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Good day. To you all. Good night. But not to Theon Greyjoy. Goodbye. Mm. Um, my problematic son has come to Winterfell, and we're excited <laughs> to jump into that. But first, we are going to do a little bit of housekeeping up top yes so if you know about us which i'm guessing you do we do bonus episodes for our patrons in the stranger tier and up that's five dollars and up over at patreon.com slash girls gone canon sometimes it's a song of ice and fire related tangential to a song of ice and fire or his dark materials related or sometimes it's just shit we like that we want to talk about so if you are interested in that Head on over to that webpage, as mentioned, but this is the formal announcement for this month's, for December's Ooh. bonus Patreon episode. Thank you. Little hype building, a little drum roll at home. Please get in the mood, get in the moment. We are going to be talking about a tangentially related A Song of Ice and Fire story, right? It's almost related. We're <laughs> going to be talking about The Ice Dragon, George R. R. Martin's The Ice Dragon, which was first published in Dragons of Light in 1980 as a short story it was reworked to be a little more suitable for children and published again in 2007 as a children's book illustrated by yvonne gilbert with some great pencil drawings and then once more was published in 2014 with painted illustrations by luis royo you can find the 110 ish pages short story in george's dream songs anthology i'm excited about this honestly i I kind of started looking at the description and I'm kind of into it. I think this is a great choice. Yeah, I'm excited to do this one. And like, we're not saying it takes place in the same world as A Song of Ice and Fire. I know people have said that. Again, making (laughs) our stances clear, but it is related, right? It is by George. And I think part of what's exciting is this is the first other George work that you and I are covering together. You know, I think we've probably spoken about some of George's other stuff here and there in regards to like we'll bring it in or like we've talked about it on other places but not not yet together like this so yeah. i refused to read <laughs> dying of the light for, uh, honestly just because somebody told me to it, it, it was probably am. me and that i mean I, yeah. I get that i mean you know that i'm the same way i'm like if someone tells you i'm like i don't want to we're fire signs and only children i feel like there's a correlation here like rickon willfully stubborn <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. But the plot of the Ice Dragon actually feels, I don't know, it feels somewhat relevant to some of the arcs in A Song of Ice and Fire. You can see that little bit of crossover where George is gardening from the same garden for a little bit of just ideas and thoughts. I like it. And because we also thought it might be nice because it's like, it's winter right now. So a nice little wintry tale. Yeah. 
Kind of feels like spring showers sometimes. Depending on where in the global climate change world you are. That's true. And if you're in <laughs> the southern hemisphere, then like it's not winter for you. <laughs> so, no, it's fucking over. Sorry. Maybe yeah. you can save this episode for later. I don't know. Well, to give you a taste of the story, to, you know, find out if you should own the Dream Songs anthology, which I think you should, honestly. I think it's good for anyone's shelf. Born in the long, freezing winter, Adara's mother dies giving birth to her. Adara's emotionless, cold to the touch and loves winter and ice and snow and ice lizards. She feels as if there's an ice dragon within her, and at the age of four, she touches one. An untamable beast of legend that causes cold and desolation wherever it flies over. War comes to her land in the form of fire dragons from the north, and Adara's ice dragon defends Adara and her family. Like I said, you'll learn more in our bonus episode for The Stranger Tier and Above, $5 up patrons later this month. Indeed. We also have a few other things coming this month for patrons. For example, we have our Discord which is accessible for our patrons in the Thunder tier and above, the $10 tier and above, where we have channels, fun stuff, and discussion. But we also have, once a month, our brunch slash happy hour. And this month, that will be on Sunday, December 18th, from 2 to 4 p.m. Yeah, Eliana time. Eliana time. And... I'm excited. Yeah, the 18th here, it'll be a nice little gathering. Some reindeer games. I have a new Jackbox game, as mentioned last (laughs) week, last episode, that I'm excited. I'm really excited (laughs) because it's funny. This is, how do I explain this without (laughs) saying that I'm a total hermit homebody? Like, I don't have friends. Yes, you do. How do I say this? Shit. I have more friends online, Eliana, in my Discord with my friends. They're so fun. But, like, you know, when you play Jackbox games with our Discord, there's a line, right? Like, everyone's like, I want in, I want in, everybody in, we got eight players, let's go. How many players does this game take? Like, we have to kind of think about that when we play these games. But last week I played some with, like, four total people, and I was like, man, but this game would be a lot more fun with the Discord. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, there's more of them. (laughs) I love my friends, it's just I needed more of them. Uh, I hope they're not listening to this. (laughs) <laughs> oh they're not if they are i love you too you were a blast to have over even if you're not eight people yeah just uh, you <laughs> even know, if you're not they gotta just eight people what uh do the naruto what is it kagebunshin jitsu make more of them and that is not what we're gonna be playing at our brunch none we're of that naruto. naruto god uh eliana there's one final thing we got to bring up before we can launch into our lightning round, which is the premiere of His Dark Materials Series 3. It's begun. We're This episode's a little pre-recorded, so our reactions, you'll have to tune in on our feed where we're posting our reactions weekly to the episodes. We should have just been publishing our first one by the time you're hearing this or your second one by the time you're hearing <laughs> this. So, wow. Yeah. Wow. That's true. It would be episode... Ugh. We should have already by now covered episodes one and two as our first episode, Mm -hmm. probably, and three and four as our second one, because, yeah, I mean, they started premiering on HBO December 5th, and the entire season's going to drop, like, I guess, December 18th for the UK, so I don't know, we can, like, everyone will keep spoilers to a minimum during that discussion, but get hype. 
yeah, exciting. We're halfway through the season is pretty much where we are yeah. as we sit here. Wow. That's so um, crazy. Yeah, if you're into a book series that is mostly finished and really good, I would recommend the His Dark Materials series. Also, if you've, like, I don't know, as someone of any age in your life, but especially a young person in your life, and you are looking for gifts, I think that the His Dark Materials trilogy is a fantastic gift. So. And if you haven't read it, there are some of the greats like Narnia that Pullman, Philip Pullman, sure. He is, you know, kind of riffing with. He's pulling on, but also responding to. He's yeah. subverting in many ways. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think uh, if you're familiar with that story and you want something denser, more thoughtful, in my opinion, this would be it. Yeah. So excited to talk about those. And again, you can find those episodes every week as they're coming out anywhere that our podcast is so if you want to keep up with those be sure to subscribe to us on any of those platforms whether it's like i don't know apple podcast spotify whatever you just know. threw in the towel we give the whole list at the end of the episode yeah somebody does yeah somebody does it used to be my job even... it's not my job anymore to say all those so i've forgotten them they're gone a cast damn <laughs> stitcher iHeartRadio. anyways <laughs> Also, be sure to check out our backlog of His Dark Materials episodes. Yes. If you are getting into that, we have covered all three of the main trilogy. The first book of Dust, La Belle Sauvage. And rumor has it, eventually, I will force Eliana to finish The Secret Commonwealth. And we'll talk about that one, too. That is definitely something I will I will do. Someday. And also, Pullman seems like he's making a lot of progress and might even be close, right, to finishing the third book. And those do I... come out. I will be honest too, like, thankfully I've been trained for this because I'm George's strongest <laughs> warrior, right? I'm George's strongest soldier. I was sent to Earth to defend George, but also it makes me really resilient in that, like, I don't even think about the third book of Dust. I'm not even close to thinking about it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I want it, but I can wait. It, I've waited. I've done my waiting. It's so funny because you and I were just talking about before this uh, another story ending that I waited a long time for which was the fourth Evangelion Rebuild film, which did come out. It finally did come out. Then I was like, it's a sign. I'm going to get wins any day now. So I believe. <laughs> I believe. Uh, well, we are nothing but George's believers. And in that note, I also believe in the Girls Gone Canon lightning round. Mm. Very heavily. I'm a strong believer. That's my religion. The lightning round. What we missed. It kind of is. It's like I wear grace before every meal, you know? <laughs> it anchors me, you know? It puts me back in the story, back in Westeros. It tells me what the hell I missed between Brand 5 and Brand 6 and A Clash of Kings. Yeah, we're going to have a really long one next episode. Yeah. So That's a challenge. Tyrion 8. Renly's death means opportunity for King Joffrey Baratheon, who needs a new wife. They send Littlefinger to make the marriage pact. Theon 3. Theon Greyjoy's forces overtake Benfred Tallheart's soldiers. Theon drafts a new plan to win his father over with Dagmar. Arya 8. As Tywin's hosts leave Harrenhal, Arya gives another name, but realizes that maybe she has been giving the wrong names all along. Catelyn 5. Lord Eddard's bones arrive. Catelyn's father mistakes her for Liza.
Daenerys 3. Daenerys fails to find ships for her mission, and Jorah suggests she ask Piot Pri next. Quaith gives Danny a warning. Tyrion 9. A riot breaks out as Princess Marcella sails for Dorne. Davos 2. Davos returns to his king and witnesses Melisandre Bertha shadow baby. John 5. One blast signifies the return of brothers. Corrin Halfhand chooses John as one of his riders to go beyond the wall. Tyrion 10. Stannis's march on King's Landing looms closer. Shay's position at court must be chosen. Varys reveals his past. Catelyn 6. Catelyn weighs duty against the boar and wonders if we're winning. Why am I so afraid? Are you winning, son? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> and that brings us to even more not winning. A Clash of Kings, Brand 6. Theon Greyjoy takes Winterfell. Always sunny music starts playing in the background. Uh, the gang takes Winterfell. <laughs> he lifts his head from his paws, sniffing into the night at the faintest of steel, scraping over stone. All of the other scents of nature came to life thanks to the evening's rain. He can smell his brother and the blood of the squirrel he had killed. He hears the metallic noise again, and it brings him to his paws, howling a deep howl, but the piles of man rock stay dead. This is kind of weird, but like the opening of this chapter and all those metallic sounds also remind me a little bit of Aaron Greyjoy's that rusty hinge, that sort of sonorous thing. But in regards to other sounds, here's the language from this moment of he howled a long, deep, shivery cry, a howl to wake the sleepers. But the piles of man rock were dark and dead. So that really stood out to me, the howl to wake the sleepers because of how similar it is to that language from the Night's Watch's oaths of being the horn that wakes the sleepers, and people have long speculated what is meant by the sleepers. And I thought that was interesting that it might be tied to something regarding earth and rock somehow, because why then would it say mm. that Summer is trying to wake something, and it also implies that it's with the intent of being protected to get protection and aid from something, someone, especially based on the current circumstances of what's happening. And if he's howling because he's in danger, and then it says, but regarding the rock being dead. So there is something somewhere out there with a non-man rock, but some sort of rock, other thing rock, that is not dead, that is a current sleeper. Yeah, there's that motif kind of going on, and it's kind of in a bigger meta sense the entire book, right? Like, The Clash of Kings itself is, it's an underrated book, first of all, as you know, I will preach very loudly, but that it, no one thinks anything happens in it because it is the thing that is sleeping and resting beneath a storm of swords breaking out, right? Like, it does all this setup so that a storm of swords is insane, that, like, every chapter of ASOS is intense like crazy especially in the middle end it feels like several books in one but there's definitely something like even with an uh, an the rumors of an ice dragon asleep you know sleeping waiting mm -hmm. to be awakened or a stone dragon that will be awakened that we're hearing dragon. about yeah a stoned <laughs> oh, puff the magic dragon oh wait wrong mushu no, mushu no. and mushu <laughs> 
Also, like, Bran is asleep right now. And as well as that, I kind of see the connection with the third eye with the sleeper. Mm. Um, it makes me think of Dune, actually, hmm. once more, bringing Paul Atreides to the fold. There's a passage in Dune where he and the mother, Lady Catelyn, I mean Lady Jessica, <laughs> are speaking to one another. And she says, she spoke gently out of the freshness of her grief. Whatever you are, Paul, the heredity is as much your father as me. But not the training, he said. Not the things that awakened the sleeper. Sleeper? It's here. He put a hand to his head and then to his breast. In me. It goes on and on and on and on. And isn't that the theme of the last two chapters of Bran awakening? Mm. That he's asleep, that he's not opening his eyes? And there's also, in this entire vision, and I'll point it out as we come in this vision, in this dream, in this vision, in this kind of like CC camera that's going on, there's another force at play, right? Like there's a lot at play with, it, it, I think you can sense Blood Raven, absolutely, mm -hmm. or the Three-Eyed Crow playing in the background of this. And the language itself that you've highlighted is so chilling and beautiful. There's this great line where when his brother appears, it's actually referencing ghost, not unlike some of the other visions that Brands had where he couldn't sense ghost. And it says his brother came sliding through the trees, moving almost as quiet as another brother. He remembered dimly from long ago, the white one with the eyes of blood, once more using all of that color kind of to evoke emotion, intention, and place, right? Place and time showing you where you are, that you are the wolf, just like Bran. Yeah. Absolutely. Very, very metal. And between these chapters, I think that's when that John chapter, right, where he sees tree brand happens and that gets referenced at the end of this book. So yes, he's waking, as you said here. And yeah, summer's summer's waking him. The sleeper has awakened. This time, the sound of the clinking and scraping is followed then by the patter of skin feet on stone, a whiff of unknown man's smell. And then we have like this line of stranger danger death and that that was very exciting to me i was like stranger danger stranger oh danger they said it they said the thing all right stranger danger and also of course they had death at the end <laughs> chloe's like why am i in this podcast but i know what i signed up for <laughs> but of course it says stranger and death you know like the seven whatever you know because they're related they are but proving that stranger danger actually evolved from the stranger Oh, yeah, that is. The danger is... of a stranger. Yeah, yeah, from back then. Oh, I meant, yes. uh, I'm sorry, in real life, in our real world. No, in medieval times, which is when these books are from. Yes. The, medieval times. Yes, this is a story passed down from the medieval era. <laughs> <sighs> the wolf runs to the sound, and his brother comes too, baring their teeth, but the man rock makes no notice. The wet, slick walls rising in front of them. A lot of tongue twisters in this chapter. <laughs> a gate looms, and he slams into it. It shudders, it clinks, but it holds. He looks down the bars and sees the burrow between the walls, but he can't get through. He can't get there. Mm. He and his brother had tried many times to break the black bones of the gate. Mm. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. With their teeth, but they wouldn't break. They pace back and forth, throwing themselves once more against the gate. And we have this chilling line, locked, something whispered, chained, the voice he did not hear, the scent without a smell. Whoa! First of all, the voice he did not hear, the scent without a smell. 
I do think that's probably Blood Raven whispering through him. I thought that was Bran. Uh, I thought it might be too, but I feel like the scent without a smell. I don't know. Is it Bran? I think so. I think this is kind of like how skin changing works, right? Because Bran is the one yeah. who kind of tell goes through the things of like where to find the the tree and then how to climb. Yeah, I will say I do feel like Blood Raven's involved in that next bit with the tree, though, because I think we're seeing a lot of Bran and the consciousness of Summer kind of entwining, especially in mm-hmm. this front part of the chapter and going back and forth. But and he's getting more confident, right? He he wasn't this confident in the last couple chapters. He's definitely more confident, but I feel like it's a little weird that he doesn't recognize the voice still, that Summer doesn't understand that it's Bran. Because, so this next part, right, there was no way out, but the voice whispers once more saying, there is. The voice tells him the other side of the godswood, the sentinel. Hurry, seeing the shadow of a giant sentinel, and he goes swiftly, hearing a muffled shout in the night that gets cut short, whirls and bounds back into the trees, his brother following close. And, and the actual, like, language of it is like a shadow looms out of nowhere that wasn't there before. I, I, I see what you're saying now. Yeah, yeah. Because then, because we're seeing this chapter through Brand's the combined, dream. yeah, the combined brand and summer, and then the voice that he doesn't mm-hmm. hear, right? Like, yeah. The, the chained and locked implies that it's brand giving voice to those mm-hmm. words, but then the the knowledge of the sentinel tree and how to get out. But that could also. I guess, be Bran, but the fact that it's, like you said, a voice and implies it's external from Bran. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it feels external there. Yeah. So they plunge into the water under the heart tree to the far wood, finding the shadow of the Great Sentinel. He remembers how it is to climb it. Much easier for a boy to climb than a direwolf. It is a funny thought. We'll see it in a second. Then it's less funny. I don't know. He sniffs the tree, <laughs> making it, marking it with urine. Also a funny thought. Then he snaps a low branch, pulling it apart until his mouth is full of needles, seeds, and those taste the sap. Why do dogs do that? They just grab a stick and they're like, what a great stick. <laughs> they're like, I thought we were going to play fetch with that. And they're like, <laughs> and destroy it. He snarls. His Sorry, brother. the eye contact that you just made with me that no one else can see while you did this, and you the face you made, which looked exactly like a dog's face. Thank you, Eliana. That was just for me. Yes, it was just for you. Literally. Yeah, actually. So Summer snarls, and his brother howls alongside him, and it says that their song, Black with Morning, and the way is no way. They are not squirrels or men. They are direwolves, runners, hunters prowlers and it, it, it speaks to something that was coming up in the previous chapter right of being what you are not what you want to be you are not a knight you're a warg a beastling a skin changer and being able then to well and i think that really connects right to the end of the next chapter mm-hmm. when brand's like oh like it's not dead it's just broken like it can still it can still live. I can too. I can make this work for me. And he kind of fully somewhat awakens at the end of the book. Yeah. Uh, something that caught my eye in this passage was the needles, seeds, and the taste of the sap. Because it reminds me of, oh my God, <laughs> of you tearing apart a stick with your mouth, miming this out in front of me on webcam. Um, but also reminds me of A Dance with Dragons with the paste of oh. weirwood seeds that Bran eats. Something about the look made Bran feel ill. The red veins were only weirwood sap, he supposed. 
but in the torchlight they looked remarkably like blood. He dipped the spoon into the paste and hesitated. Will this make me a green seer? Your blood makes you a green seer, said Lord Brynden. This will help awaken your gifts and wedge you to the trees. It makes me wonder if, you know, that's Summers marrying the trees himself. Right oh. That's interesting. The if the paste is truly made of sap and seeds and not of Jojen's veins. I think it is truly made of sap and seeds and... And <laughs> the secret ingredient. <laughs> and a third secret thing. Yeah. It's blood. It's uh, blood and... It could be three things, I mean. You actually can eat some parts of pine trees. Like the mm-hmm. the little coney like things at the at the ends, like the pine little cones? buds. They're not pine cones. They're like still oh. green and like they're not pine cones yet. Like the sprouts oh. of like the new branches and stuff. They're like really tender. And apparently this is common, I think, in some Scandinavian countries. Like they'll maybe make them and like steep them or whatever or turn them Maybe candy them. I tried to eat one raw off of my Christmas tree, and I don't oh, know no. if I was doing it wrong. I think I was doing it wrong. Just so you all oh, know. No. I was like, it's my chance. Well, I'm glad that you've learned your lesson. I just did it wrong. I'm going to try again God. sometime. And learn your lesson again. <laughs> Across the night, the dogs wake, sensing it, howling, barking, and then a great clamor begins. They smell it, too. Foes and fear. A fury fills him, hot as anger, and he springs away and races back in a rush, kicking up leaves and needles, hunting an antlered stag. The smell of fear makes his heart beat harder, and he throws himself up the trunk of the tree, bounding up to the lower limbs. But he gets to the midway point, the roof almost within reach, and he slips his foot on the wet wood. He's sliding, stumbling, afraid, furious, and falling, falling, falling. Oh, poor Bran. And that, of course, wakes Bran because it's a reminder of, you know, his trauma from the last time he went climbing. But I do find it interesting that within summer, right, like that fury kind of makes him feel bold enough to try to climb again Mm -hmm. when it is so tied to that trauma and with the hope of escaping. But of course, you know, you have the tie in there, right? When you think of it, of how this falling is, it's really important to Bran's story, right? And it is almost fall, or like fall now within the story. It's autumn, and then his wolf is named Summer, and Summer is kind of, he, he's awakened into Summer because of the fall, but also at the same time, could the fall, the fall is the end of Summer in real life, you know? Yeah. That's it. Oh. Seven, eight, nine. Yeah, I understand. I 900% understood what you were saying. Thank you. Summer, fall, winter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can't get to fall first off without the fall, but also you have to fall from summer is the fall (laughs) that falls into winter. (laughs) Look at Banner, Eliana. (sighs) This is me that, like, what? Charlie Day. Charlie Kelly with the (laughs) map name. Yeah, absolutely. This is the Always Sunny episode. There's a very sad passage. Because it's a song of ice and fire, a clash of kings brand. Sorry, the sadness sometimes just makes you a little gleeful, you know? Bran was back abed in his lonely tower room, tangled in his blankets, his breath coming hard. Summer! Summer! 
His shoulders seemed to ache, as if he had fallen on it, but he knew it was only the ghost of what the wolf was feeling. Jojen told it true. I am a beastling. Outside, he could hear the faint barking of dogs. The sea has come. It's flowing over the walls, just as Jojen saw. Bran grabbed the bar overhead and pulled himself up, shouting for help. No one came, and after a moment, he remembered that no one would. Dang. That's so haunting. To have seen all of it, to have known it all happening even before, and then being paralyzed and unable to do anything. <sighs> yeah, absolutely. And this is really, really, I don't know, that helplessness, yeah. that feeling of helplessness. That's gotta feel like shit. And then this is the first time he ever tried get help with Summer, right? Like he was like, I'm gonna try to help. We gotta get you out of there or get you to a place where you can do something about this or, you know, something with so little control, right? After the first few times of finessing the whole warging thing. Yeah. Well, the reason why no one comes to help is because they had taken the guards off of his door because Roderick recruited all of the men of fighting age. Therefore, Winterfell is left with a small garrison, 600 men from Winterfell and the surrounding areas, with Clay Kerwin, the homie, bringing 300 more. Lewin had sent ravens to assemble men from White Harbor, the Barrowlands, and deep within the Wolfswood, because Torrin Square was under attack by Dagmar Cleftjaw, a monstrous warchief. I like Dagmar. Old Nan says that he can't be killed. That once, his head was cut in half, and he pushed the halves together to heal. Where did she even hear the story about Dagmar? Bran worries that Dagmar has won. This is interesting, because just in that John chapter that just happened, a couple chapters before this, it reminds you of how Corrin Halfhand is introduced, which mm. both have a little bit of, I don't know, they're a little exaggerated, right? Because we meet Dagmar, and he's not exactly actually a horrifying warrior right like he's a little more bookish than he lets on in that kind of he's he's yeah. not like this crazy exotically evil guy the old man kind of well you know her stories she kind of juices them up a little bit to be fair but corin's intro that just happened is similar only thumb and forefinger remained on a hand that held the reins the other fingers had been sheared off catching a wildling's axe that would have otherwise split his skull it was told he had thrust his maimed fist into the face of the axeman, so blood spurted into his eyes and slew him while he was blind. Since that day, the wildlings beyond the wall had known no foe more implacable. That's a great connection. I mean, their stories are so intertwined. Brands and Johns and Dagmar. I, like I said, I like Dagmar. I think he's a fun character from what I remember. And that's because he's not the way that Old Nan says, which, again, I don't know where Old Nan heard about Dagmar. Did she just say, like, what an interesting name. Let me make up lies about him. Especially, like, with Dance, right, that he is needing aid. He's still left, what, he's at Torrens Square? He's defending the keep at yeah. Torrens Square. And they get attacked before, or Asha's men get attacked before they can leave Deepwood, obviously. And Asha offers to help Stannis get Torrens Square back from Dagmar. So that's kind of where we left off with him. We'll probably pick back up with him in Asha's plot, I would guess. It's funny because this whole axe thing that splinters his jaw happens when he's a boy. A long axe blow almost kills him. And he's just mm. a young boy. So it's funny that old Nan kind of like exaggerates this into this horror story. And Corin's not dissimilar right? Like, he's actually not yeah. exactly of the legend. I mean, look at his death. What's put out about his death is that John is a turncloak traitor that murdered him, but his actual death was him saying, please kill me. Just like Ned. 
you know. Yeah, he was sacrificing himself for the mission. Yeah. And yeah. Though again, optics wise, I do see why that was a story told about John. <laughs> it does look that way. And That's that was the point. point. Yeah. It was supposed to look that way. Which is kind of what happens with Osha, I guess, at the end of this chapter. Anyways. Oh yeah. So Bran pulls himself from his bed and calls to anyone. Hodor, Osha, Jojin, but the door crashes open with an unknown man, stranger, danger, and an axe strapped to his back with a dirk in his hand. And the dirk is the giveaway of who this guy is, because we know someone who loves their dirk. Behind the man then, thankfully, comes a familiar face. Theon. What a relief. Bran feels with relief and asks did Rob send you and Theon says Rob can't help you now and I'm like whoa 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 chill and your approach is all wrong he does a villain mustache (laughs) he does like this villain mustache twirl probably like they did give him like a silly mustache it was probably like a not very good one (laughs) in the books I forgot and then he sits down on the bed and explains to him that they're taking Winterfell yeah Bran's really confused he's like what what and Theon's like, you're my wards now, and I'm gathering my people, the people of Winterfell, in the Great Hall, where you're going to command them to yield to me, and then you're going to yield to me. And Bran's like, what? Wait, I'm sorry, I just don't, what? It is pretty confusing. <laughs> I mean, I would also be confused. And during Theon's chapters, we discussed how his interiority shows that he never really did feel at home at Winterfell, right? He gives that air of bravado, but he doesn't. And maybe Ned was the closest figure he ever had to a father in a way, but that's ignoring the fact that Theon actually did have a father who was a father figure to him that he was kidnapped from and to become a hostage by the man who's supposed to be his father figure, right? Who burned his home, killed his brothers, and traumatized Mm -hmm. him by when he put down that rebellion. And so this is what wardship means to Theon in a way that we see is really different from the way that the phrase seemed to feel about their wardship. So I really love that moment where in Bran's confusion, he's like, I don't understand your father's ward, right? He's not supposed to do this. It's a word that Theon, that Bran associates with kinship. In the He, he feels that wardship is, should be like, and the feelings behind it are the way that Ned and Robert felt about their wardship with John Aaron and therefore assumes this is how Theon feels but Theon throws it back at him and says that yeah okay I was his ward and now you Brandon Rickon will be my wards which is not true at all in terms of what a ward is but it is I think a more honest usage of the word despite it kind of being tongue-in-cheek that's the way that Theon intends it and he's saying that okay well now you Stark children are going to be my hostages that we're going to call wards, same as I was, and gives a glimpse again into how Theon felt about all of that. And it also shows us that Bran is still very naive and privileged. And yeah, he's also young, so of course he doesn't truly get it, right? He never knew or saw all of that in Theon. But then again, Rob didn't see it, so how could Bran? Yeah, he doesn't understand the politics that the phrase are both hostage and spies, Right, that that Lewin obviously they're such bad. They are very bad spies. But like that's the point is that Lewin had to walk that very tedious line in the center. No matter how idiotic those boys are, he couldn't 
mistreat them necessarily because that sends a message that they are hostages right it betrays the word like using the word ward is just a nice way of saying hostage because one way or another someone in this situation is being held hostage and being leveraged against behavioral speaking yeah i think it depends on the circumstances right like when jamie takes mm -hmm. wards those were hostages yeah but the phrase it was part Walter Frey wanted that, right? Because it is prestigious. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a big house, and the way that Ned and Robert were, those were, they were protected. Mm -hmm. That man went to war for them. Yeah, so. and it works for both sides. It makes it for House Stark. It's a promise. It's an alliance, right? And it's basically, yeah. if one party doesn't keep up their part of the alliance, then these are people that will suffer. Yeah, absolutely, and. <sighs> Boy, do the Starks suffer next book. At first, Bran refuses <sighs> to yield. And Theon's like, do you want to keep your people safe? You'll do it. You'll do what's best for them. Stop playing the boy. He tells Bran someone will come to dress him and carry him to the Great Hall shortly, and that he needs to think about what he will say to his people. I like this moment where Bran refuses initially by saying, I won't. We'll fight you and throw you out. Just like Mira said that, she would fight back, that Jojen and Bran should fight against fate, and it gives you insight into, obviously I'm kind of biased, <laughs> right? I clearly love that idea of fighting against fate and the inevitable. There's something really romantic about it that I love, and that's really starting to crop up in Bran's storyline. And even here with Theon, it shows you how Bran eventually gets to the point where after speaking with Leaf, he thinks about all these other species that have died out in the north and again with that idea of fighting back he thinks of leaf seemed sad when she said it and that made bran sad as well it was only later he thought men would not be sad men would be wroth men would hate and swear a bloody vengeance the singers sing sad songs where men would fight and kill and that really comes through when he urges summer to climb and to escape right that's it's the fury that awakens in him and that urge to fight to get out. I won't spoil anything for those that haven't watched it yet, but it reminds me of the Andor finale. You know, there's something so inherent mm. in human nature that we all are sleepers, right? All of us are sleeping and sometimes a cause or something that you feel personal to you, you know, Dunbar's number including here, but there's sometimes something that like it, you want to fight right? It makes you feel less helpless, that helpless feeling that Bran feels being stuck in that room and now having to serve Theon. There's a great quote in the finale of Andor that I urge you all to watch. I really liked it. I haven't been a fan of the expanded universe of Star Wars personally, but I've definitely, you know, liked this one. I have definitely liked this one in where someone gives a speech and says that there's a wound we won't heal at the center of the galaxy, darkness reaching like rust into everything around us. We let it grow, and now it's here. It's here, and it's not visiting anymore. It wants to stay. And sometimes, even when it feels helpless to fight, thinking that you won't win, sometimes that's all you can do, right? Sometimes when enough injustice is done, that's all you can do. Yeah, and... I'm not like condoning violence or anything, but what you're saying makes me realize that the reason why I love that concept of fighting back against what's allegedly inevitable is it's not succumbing, mm -hmm. right? Like the act of fighting back is means that there's hope. Yeah. And that's so important. 
I mean, that's what the North remembers. That's what is. a dream of spring. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that something better could exist. Yeah, it's Lady Donella's fingers, right? Chewed off in the fucking night and her assaulted. It's Sansa being beaten court. It's Arya having to run, having to hide and take on these identities. It's the boys, Rickon and Bran, having to run next chapter. And it's the Red Wedding and it's all of that. And this is just the beginning of that unfurling. It's really dark, but there's hope in the very center of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, that's They survival. could come back. The wolves will come again. I dreamt it. A time for wolves. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't really care about the Starks or anything that happens to them, so. <laughs> <sighs> so, Bran thinks he hears a clash of kings. I'm sorry, wait. A clash of... So- a storm of swords? A clash of swords? Anyways, and maybe a shout at one point. But he doesn't have Summer's ears or nose. He thinks, awake, I am still broken, but when I sleep, I'm Summer. I can run and fight and hear and smell. These chapters definitely bring me back to Sansa's chapters in A Game of Thrones, right? Uh, even after Lady's death, it, it, I'm very taken with some of the similar language and how both Sansa and Ned and Bran have to lie right and say to their people we're gonna yield because it's what protects you instead of saying we're gonna fight saying we can fight back that they have to do mm. uh what some might think is not the smart thing but they choose the best routes for their safety and for what they think will keep others safe like sansa writing the letter to rob not really understanding the words she's putting in it ned lying to save the children and bran here as a boy lord having to yield having no choice absolutely no chance and absolutely no choice and Bran and Sansa both take their training wheels off, right, for their first event. Like, there's no practice here. There's no turning to his advisors and saying, did I do good? And having Roderick say, you're going to be a great lord someday, boy. It's, I mean, this is real for Bran. Too soon. That's a great point, especially as Sansa is here kind of showing that sort of spirit uh, during the Blackwater. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there is no practice. They're children. <laughs> They're thrown into this. Very stressful situation, and yeah, they're like, let's leave the fate of all of these people and a nine-year-old. What? <laughs> yeah, at some point, let me tell you all about my partner's Crusader King's run, <laughs> putting down a rebellion at four years old. It's a lot of work. <laughs> to put down a Listen, I have a 150-year Targaryen reign going on on the Iron Throne, and I've been conquering Essos, and let me tell you, this shit is hard. It's not easy. <laughs> not easy. So when the door next opens, it's Maester Lewin. With the skin around his eye broken and blood running down his face. This is Why so are you sad. laughing? This is not happy, Eliana. It's not happy. He asks if Bran knows what happened. And Bran says Theon came and told him Winterfell was his. The maester sits down and tells him how they got in. That they swam the moat and climbed the walls with hook and rope, dripping wet, steel in hand. I wonder if this will mirror something in Tiwau with the retaking of Winterfell. If, if the moat is something to really watch out for, and if, like, climbing the walls, scaling the walls of Winterfell will be something to watch out for. This is this is how the, they took down the Greyjoy Rebellion, right? Yeah. Like, because they had to scale the walls, if I'm not yep. mistaken, of Pike. Which is interesting. Dang. Um, and we'll talk about it soon, but it comes back to how Theon is caught in between, right? Even his methods of warfare are confused, yeah. right? He's not just trying to pay the iron price, but then he's mixed up and still doing northern things. Yeah. And 
It's fine to combine yeah. them. People combine fighting styles all the all the time. Yeah, you're allowed to blend your culture up, Theon. You can be a Stark and a Greyjoy. You can retake that and rename that, pal. Maybe. Fresh blood flows down Lewin's face because this is hurtful. And then he tells Bran that Alebelly was killed. Hayhead is injured. And he had been able to get a bird off to White Harbor, but the other bird was shot down. Lewin says that Roderick had too many of their men and... That Lewin is just as much to blame as Roderick in this because he never saw the danger coming. But Bran thinks Jojen saw it, but thankfully doesn't say "told you so." But he's thinking it. I like I would have said, I would have said because it because the absolute amount of <laughs> for fireside. Well, exactly right. And Bran is obviously not. What is he a Pisces? Anyways, it's the fish in him. But the absolute amount of growing up Bran does in that exact moment, right there, when Lewin says, "If only we had seen this coming," because Lewin is like. I didn't have a warning, but Bran immediately is like, huh, didn't we talk about this? And I told you, and you were like, no, that could never happen. And then the last chapter, you were like, wow, there is some issue going on at the Stony Shore. It could mean something. We should probably go fend it off. Not in a mean way. Like, I understand this disconnect for storytelling purposes, obviously, but it's very obvious to me that that just told Bran so much about the world and proved so much of what Jojen yeah. told him in the last chapter was real that they would never believe you. It all came real. Yeah, that's a great point about what it tells him about the world, right? Like, it's kind of even a trope in children's yes, stories, especially, right? Adults. That the children have the knowledge and that the adults aren't listening and therefore the children have to be the ones to take it in hand and solve it all. And it's frustrating. It's so frustrating. But in that moment, like, it's not in a way that Bran is upset with Lewin. He loves Lewin, right? Like, Lewin is an another yeah. father figure to him with Ned gone. But... It's just that he realized in that moment that adults can let you down, like more than you already yeah. knew. And I think every time you learn that as a child, it ages you up another year. You're like, oh, shit, I'm 92. When did that happen? Yeah. And that's another thing, like in regards to that helplessness, right? Like, and I think that's part of why it's such a trope in children's stories, because you do feel helpless sometimes. You, there's something that you see and you understand and you want other people, especially the adults, to understand it. Mm. and. You don't always have that agency, and Bran doesn't have that agency because he's a child. Yeah. Because he's a child and he's not able-bodied. Yeah. He tells Lewin that, well, you'd better help me dress. And so they do. Lewin declares that Bran is now the Stark in Winterfell and must look princely. So Bran is dressed as a lord, with his favorite wolf's head, silver and jet clasp on his cloak, and Lewin and he discuss what the right thing to do is. Lewin says that there is no shame in yielding the castle. A lord must protect his people, which is kind of similar to, to some of the advice Lewin gives Theon later on. Mm -hmm. He's like, I mean, you could just yield and go north to the wall. Instead of telling Bran to go all balls to the walls, howl loose on it, Lewin actually gives Bran the most insightful advice that he can. I really respect and loved this. He says, cruel places breed cruel peoples. Bran, remember that as you deal with these iron men. Your lord father did what he could to gentle Theon, but I fear it was too little and too late. And it brings up kind of some of that conversation that we've had about nurture versus nature in A Song of Ice and Fire, right? And Lewin here is kind of giving him two pieces of advice. He's telling him, yes, remember that they are strong and nasty and mean people because they were bred in a mean, cold place, but also... Remember that in the other way, too. Like, remember when you deal with them, like, 
you know, they, they can't exactly help it. They didn't have the life that you had. They didn't have the mom and dad for eight years telling you they loved you and believed in you, even when you went mm. against their wishes. Like, remember both sides of that, right? Like, this is their nature. This is who they are. But this is their nature. This is who they are. And it also reminds me a lot in the language of Sandor Clegane. Imagine that. I'm thinking about Sandor Clegane again. And it, in the, the terms of your Lord Father did what he could to gentle Theon. And I do think that's probably language used purposefully because that's what Sansa sings about Sandor in just a couple chapters, right? Gentle mother, font of mercy, teach them all a better way. It does remind me of what we hear later on in Brienne chapters. If even half of what we heard was true, this was a bitter, tormented soul, a sinner who mocked both gods and men. He served but found no pride in service. He fought but took no joy in victory. He drank to drown his pain in a sea of wine. He did not love, nor was he loved himself. It was hate that drove him. Though he committed many sins, he never sought forgiveness. And, you know, where we land in the winds of winter is hopefully Theon will get a chance to atone in the way that best settles his soul and gentles his soul, just like Sandor hopefully has had that chance at the Quiet Isles. It's it's something that we see recurring with a lot of characters. Like I like that you brought it up with Sandor because he does stand in for that larger theme in in this, but we see it with characters like Tyrion, right? He was he was raised cruelly mm -hmm. by his family and therefore becomes hateful because of that. Or even like Daenerys, you know, I'm not saying she's cruel, but like that she came from a very difficult household like where she was abused by her brother and was always on the run and then had to survive in a culture that valued strength as as whether or not you're allowed to live, right? For for the Dothraki. And then also, as you said, Sandor, and we see that with a couple of characters throughout, and it's it's good that Bran is learning it. Mm hmm It's important for him to learn that so he can actually show yeah. them sympathy, you know, later on. Intentional and meaningful sympathy. Yeah, and in regards to Theon and 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 Tyrion, like because you were saying, like, could Theon learn a better way, right? And you don't have to choose whatever your parents did, and like that idea of family, you don't have to be whatever your family dictates that you are. You kind of get to choose that yourself, and th again, that's the case with Brienne's stuff too. Yeah, with Jamie, right, writing his page in the yeah, White Book, yes. it could be whatever he wrote taking those shackles exactly. off the chains that Bran himself feels in a different way. Those chains are on these people in different ways too. And life is about finding and breaking those chains. Yeah. I don't know if I agree with the too little and too late stuff. But... Yeah. I, I don't think it's too little or too late though for Theon or Sandor. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone can come back. They can. The Iron Man comes for them carrying Bran easily, and Rickon comes to Cranky, saying he wants Mom and Shaggy Dog. Lewin says, your mother's far away, pulling a bedrobe onto Rickon and assuring him that Bran and Lewin are here. On the way out, they see Mira and Jojen being herded from their room by a bald man with a huge spear and other iron men getting the Walders up as well, who of course have some bitch-ass shit to say. Little Walder is like, your brother lost his kingdom, you're not a prince, just a hostage, and Jojen's like, yeah, like you, dipshit. Little Walter says, no one was talking to you, frog eater. Uh, but all of this childhood bullying back and forth is drowned out by the rain that starts again. And as they cross the yard, they hear the wolves howling in the godswood. 
Bran hopes Summer hadn't been hurt from the fall. Theon is sat in the high seat of the Starks, wearing a black surcoat emblazoned with a golden kraken. Rickon says, Theon's sitting in Rob's chair, and Bran hushes him, feeling the menace growing around them where Rickon cannot. Yeah. Love that detail of how Rickon is just too young to really sense it, and Bran's starting to get to a point where he can understand those social conventions more. Mm -hmm. He's starting to understand people and their emotions, and that line, that idea of Theon sitting in Rob's chair really stood out to me. It's, of course, Theon taking what he covets from this other family who, you know, I guess they treated him well enough, but it wasn't, like, that good as we've discussed, but for the purposes of what I'm going to say, let's just pretend and say that they treated him great, you know? They kept him alive and whatnot. They offered him prestige. And so, for the sake of my argument, let's just say that, alright? Theon taking Winterfell and killing all of these people of the lower classes, right? Just to sit in Rob's chair and to play at being Lord. Maybe it's a little bit like Bran taking Hodor's body, a strong, able body that he covets, someone who has served him and helped him move and escape and live so that he can play at being knight. Okay. That, oh, I, I just didn't know if there was a, a point to all the hypothetical part. Okay, good, good, good. I like that you used it to tie this in, though. Hypothetically. I mean, like, it it's there enough, yeah. right? Like, the idea that, like, Theon sees something and he wants it and it's, like, out of his grasp and he feels entitled to Exploiting it. Exploiting the guest right because, of someone. Yeah, he feels entitled. Uh, I've never heard of anyone exploiting guest right. <laughs> well, and Bran is exploiting guest right in Hodor's body. Hodor, from the goodness of his mm, heart, has served Bran. And then Bran kind of exploits that. That is right. I mean, it's true. Yeah. The benches have been stacked on the wall and there's nowhere to sit. The castle folk stand in groups, not daring to speak. Bran spots old Nan, her mouth opening and closing. Aw. Hayhead is carried in to stand between guards, a bloodstained bandage wrapped on his chest. Beth Castle weeps with fear. Poxy Tom, oh. too. Theon stops at the reeds in the phrase and is like, Who are these people? <laughs> Loon explains, oh, the Fraser Catelyn's wards, and Jojen and Mira came to renew their oaths to Winterfell. Some might call that ill-timed, said Theon, <laughs> though not for me. Here you are, and here you'll stay. He demands Lauren to bring Bran to him, and Lauren does, dumping him, how dare he, like a sack of oats onto the stone. More people flow in, Gage and Osha from the kitchens, spotted with flour, Micken cursing, Farlin limping, trying to support Pala, whose dress is ripped in two. Septon Chael is knocked to the floor while trying to help Pala. Wow, I kind of, yeah. I love that Septon Chael tries to help out, too. And oh, that's so sad, Farlin carrying his daughter, Pala. I'm sad for Pala, yeah. you know? Like, it sounds like she was raped in front of her father. Yeah. Maybe Entheon does have the guys who did it ra uh, whipped for it. And Asha does kill, what's his name, Denner yeah. or something, Drenner. But, you know. It doesn't stop that, like, Theon is the reason that it happened. Like, none of this would have happened to Pala if you didn't come and take Winterfell. Yeah, they sacked, pillaged, and raped when he took the castle, because that's what happens when you take a castle. Yeah. I was gonna say with Ironborn, but no, that's that's in general what happens when you take a castle. Yeah, I mean, we see it with Hall. We see 
even with what happens with Osha later, that she kind of decides to adapt to her job to survive. We see that at Hall, right? Mm-hmm. With like Pia, the serving woman who just changes sides. The new person that lives there, she serves because that's just the way it is. Again, back to that broken yeah. man or forward to that broken man speech, right? In Feast, which then, you know, one lord says, now you're mine. And they go over to the other side and that imagery of servitude, the others, war. Yes, yes. Something you kind of brought up in our Theon chapters is that dichotomy of Theon trying to parse and search himself for if is he an ironborn lord? Is he a lord of Winterfell, right, of the north? Who is he? And he only ever calls Eddard in his chapters Eddard, right? There's no love, no familiarity. That's the thing that they're missing. You talk about hypothetically they gave Theon everything that he needed to survive. And that's where a lot of those John parallels come in, right? Like, they had the highest education. Mm-hmm. They were given fine clothes to wear. They had their own steeds. You know, they were never without. They were just without love. How do you, you know, what happens when you grow someone up with everything they need, but without love? Look at Joffrey. There's not a ton of real love in that family that he grew up around, and we see how it turned him. Theon only Tyrion. yeah yes exactly theon only ever saw the face of lord stark right which bran laid out for us in his very first chapter of lord stark versus his father mm. while rob was invited to be at ned's side during meetings and learn to rule theon probably didn't have that same opportunity and absorbed the idea of command at least part of it in his image of ned as a monster at pike taking him from his home he didn't learn the same lessons we see from Ned's children. We watch that when they go and they find the dire wolves before, right? When they go to the beheading, he's smiling and making small japes in the background. He's not taking those lessons the same way. And he doesn't learn to get to know your men, invite them to eat with you, no matter how big or small they are. Theon treats all of these people as small because he's lost within arriving at the Iron Islands and being rejected by his father, by his sister for not being enough returning to the north and being exactly the same, using northern warfare and a blend of southern warfare in his methods for taking Winterfell, but at the same time saying, am I paying the iron price? And he's watching all of his plans fail, falling apart, stuck in between them. That's a great point, and not to make these brand chapters all about Theon, but I'm gonna do it, like, whatever. He's a guest star. One of my favorite characters. Yeah, he's a guest star. And it's only, like, one to two chapters anyway, you know? He's a big part of Bran's storyline, also, and, like, that's such a great point that Theon didn't get any of those lessons. Like, Bran, they expected would, yeah, maybe he'll become a knight, but they also expected the possibility that he could become a small lord, a vassal of Robs, etc. So he was taught some ruling, and then he's been groomed to rule by Lewin and Roderick these past few months, mm-hmm. and has been kind of thrust into it and is being trained for it at an earlier age. Whereas, as you said, Theon wasn't given that sort of tutelage. And, you know, like, what did what was their plan for him? They took him away from his people and kind of removed him from whatever his career track was going to be, right? Like, their hope was they raised Theon and then when the time comes, I guess, install him as Lord of the Iron Islands. But the idea, the, the lesson from Ned, which is get to know your men that you're going to rule, 
that was never gonna even be possible for Theon because he doesn't live yeah, there. Yeah, now he's so alienated from those men. The first thing he does in the Iron Islands is he kills one of his own men. He kills an Iron Islander. Yeah. How does that look? That immediately <laughs> grows enmity for his men. It doesn't grow respect like he think it does. It makes them hate him even more. This weird foreigner has returned home and said that he's our new lord. No one cares. Yes. He doesn't know that. And, and that's what his father stresses to him, right? Like, they, he, how can he hope to rule people whose culture he doesn't know anything about? Which, now that I think about it, will that be part of Bran's storyline as well? Yeah. When it comes to ruling in the South? I think so. So the last man marched in the room is Reek. Hmm. Whose stench arrives before he does. Yeah. And Bran's stomach twists at the smell of him. Theon banters with Reek about his stench, and Reek says, well, my real name is actually Heek, and that he serviced the Bastard of the Dreadfort until the Starks gave Ramsay his wedding present. Arrows in the back. Oh, it's funny because that's the wedding present that Rob kind of gets from the phrase. Oh, shit. They get arrows stuck throughout him. Um, I love... And then that knife. <sighs> that, sorry, that sword. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Nothing but the cold. So... I just thought it was interesting. I was curious about why George decided to give him the name Heek or Heke or however you want to fucking pronounce it. But it reminds me kind of of like Hecate when I was thinking of it or like the idea of mm. something more mystical. So it just made me want to look it up. And there is some etymology connected with the Egyptian word and it's in hieroglyphics. It's HK3W, which means magic, Heka. The ancient Egyptian concept of the vital force and the Old Kingdom pyramid text depict it as a supernatural energy the gods possess. The cannibal pharaoh must devour other gods to gain this magical power. So I thought that was kind of interesting since Ramsay just like devours others and takes on their persona to survive in these couple chapters. And because, you know, obviously we know that they have a little flaying problem and they're a little into blood and ritual. And it was interesting that this was like Definitely symbolic of blood rituals and cannibal rituals. The more you think, yeah. the more you think. I don't know if it actually is connected at all, but I just thought it was interesting. It is interesting because, I mean, you got it exactly right. That is what that is Ramsey's whole thing. standard procedure. That's his whole vibe, right? Yeah, that's his thing. Don't hate the flayer, hate the game of Thrones. No, we can we can also hate the flayer. <laughs> that's fine. We can hate Ramsey. It's okay. We're allowed. So Theon is surprised to learn that Ramsay, question mark, question mark, had married the widow of the Dreadfort, calling her a crone, saying she has dried and withered teats, and why would anyone want her? And I'm like, first of all, clearly she was very hot, according to Roderick. Okay, and then Reek tells him, well, that isn't why Ramsay married her, ya dangus. And it shows how Theon just isn't ready for this. But also, like, to an extent, the Ironborn don't really think of marriage alliances it seems in that same way in land we get a little of insight into that in some of the later ironborn chapters but part of that is there's not really much land mm -hmm. right they think of wives in terms of this salt and rock system so a lot of that wifehood i guess is associated more with desire as opposed to the politics but bran because he's been in these conversations with Roderick and lewin he does understand why it happened yeah and there's something really funny going on that 
Ramsey's so annoyed at how stupid Theon is and that Theon doesn't get it that he almost gives himself away right here. He's like, even I, a lowborn servant who has studied, nigh has studied anything ever, gets it. Like, what do you mean you don't understand why she married him or he married her? That's a good point. <laughs> it kind of makes me think of Arya because she's posing as a lowborn right now, right? And the mm. Arya plotline with Ramsay is kind of intrinsically connected because Arya is at Harrenhal, where Roose's troops eventually come on in after she gets out, but then fake Arya later, posing as fake Arya when for Jane, where it's not actually Arya. It's just interesting that the switcheroos that get combined with their plots here. But he really gives yeah. himself, like, why would a lowborn servant, sure, Ramsay's personal assistant, why would he be a speaking so boldly and out of turn and giving it away and theon might have if he hadn't been self-centered and absorbed might have actually realized something was up with this one but instead he puts a sword in his hand <laughs> yeah <sighs> i think it's it's especially that attitude it really does almost give him away mm -hmm. yeah the, just those little leaks of highborn which not highborn for ramsey obviously but for him it's politicking, politicking yeah just those bits that follow yeah. on through of the plan the Iron Men slam shut the doors, and Theon calls for quiet, saying, You all know me. Micken's like, Yeah, I know you for a sack of steam and dung, and gets smashed across the face with a spear for it. Bran tells Micken to be silent, trying to sound lordly but failing, coming out with a shrill crack of his voice, and Theon tells Micken to listen to his lordling, who has more sense than him. It's sad because Bran, you know, is looking for the right thing to do of what to tell these people, and this solidifies it. Because Micken is doing the exact opposite, doing the fighting that we talked about, right? Like fighting because everything is yeah. dismal and all he has is that little bit of hope, that little bit of wanting to give himself some aut autonomy back of saving Winterfell, right? Of just fighting back against evil. But Bran sees right here in this moment, it's proven to him, there's no hope right now. There's nothing that could fix this. Yeah. We don't have the people. Sometimes you have to like retreat to save to save lives, right? And and that's a great point because Bran's trying to save this guy's life and maybe it maybe it's a little like Sansa again, like at the beginning of this book with uh Dantos mm -hmm. and and yeah. speaking up for him, but Macon is also kind of like I'm not going to take orders from a 9-year-old kid, but like it's 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 weird, mm -hmm. but it's it's hard. It's a hard scene. Like I don't know. I love what Bran is trying to do, right? He's it's kind of rude to, to to order him to be silent. That's very demeaning. Mm -hmm. But he wants he loves Micken. Yeah. He wants to save him, but he sees here that Micken refuses to be saved in this moment. And the the core of it is like what happens in this passage, right? He goes, A good lord protects his people, he reminded himself. I've yielded Winterfell to Theon. Louder, Bran, and call me prince. I have yielded Winterfell to Prince Theon. All of you should do as he commands you. Damned if I will, bellowed Micken. Theon ignored the outburst. My father has donned the ancient crown of salt and rock and declared himself king of the Iron Islands. He claims the North as well by right of conquest. You are all his subjects. So, that idea of a good lord protecting his people, maybe even a good king if you will, protecting his people and yielding up Winterfell so that everyone can live to, to prioritize people's lives is very reminiscent of Torrin Stark. 
the king who knelt. Yeah, he had no option there, huh? Yeah, I mean, what are you going to do? They have dragons, and you saw what they can do. So you're like, this is the smart choice, right? Especially if he's trying to prioritize it. If Torin also knew, mm -hmm. right, about a war coming eventually from the north, from the undead, you want people to live, and, and protecting them can mean giving up your home. He was even smart enough not to have the exchange take place on his home turf, right? So as people don't see the giant dragons, That's true. he had it take place south so that they didn't have to see the threat and he could still maintain kind of some peace there in the north. Mm. And it actually, it really loops in well with Catelyn and Rob, right? When she warns him, like, you know, if you knelt, it's not bad. If you kneel, if it's protecting your people, we could still kneel. She says... It would, in her head, after she tells him this, and he obviously is like, no, we're not fucking kneeling, mom. She thinks it would not do to make him feel as if his mother were usurping his place. Did you teach him wisdom as well as valor, Ned? She wondered. Did you teach him how to kneel? The graveyards of the Seven Kingdoms were full of brave men who had never learned that lesson. <sighs> oh, Bran. Well, Rob. Rob. Bran. Rip Rob. God. Micken says he serves the Starks, not some treasonous squid, and he's smashed in the stone face first. Theon says smiths have strong arms and weak heads, and says if they all serve him as loyally as they served Eddard, he'll be a generous lord. I don't know. Oh, Theon, what are you thinking? Micken's got some great burns, though, right? For example, here of... Well, this this doesn't... He never gets to the burn part of this, anyways. But on his hands and knees, Micken spat blood. Please don't, Bryn wished at him. But the blacksmith shouted, If you think you can hold the north with this sorry lot of... The bald man drove the point of his spear into the back of Micken's neck. Steel slid through flesh and came out his throat in a welter of blood. A woman screamed and Mira wrapped her arms around Rickon. It's blood he drowned on. Bryn thought numbly. His own blood. This is not far from that siege at Storm's End, right? And it very much makes me think of Stannis and Courtney Penrose. Mm. What's that kind of dynamic with Theon and all of these people that he's condemning to their deaths, pretty much, in order to get control and rule, all because he doesn't like what they're saying. You know, thinks it's a threat to his reign, which Stannis kind of does too, with a, you know, baby. A shadow baby. <laughs> <laughs> but here it's a little more ominously present, and it really, I mean, this really clears up what Theon's arc in Clash is. Will you emulate Lord Stark and be a generous lord? Something that Theon keeps shouting and declaring he'll be if they pledge their loyalty to him and love to him, which that's not something that you just get, right? You earn that. But yeah. if not Lord Stark, will you drown men in their own blood and pay the iron price? Who are you? Theon Latecomer or Theon the Hungry Wolf? It's contrasted against Bran protecting his people, choosing to kneel so that he can rise again once more, harder and stronger. Mm. Yeah, and he's the one who's gonna quote-unquote die mm -hmm. for a bit. But the roots are strong. Yeah, to come back harder and stronger. But that's a great comparison with Stannis coming to take Storm's End. You know, there's that boy lord aspect too. But also, for both Theon and Stannis, it's returning to try and conquer slash take somewhere that is mm -hmm. their home. Yeah. It's a homecoming, but the worst parade. There's no joy here. Ashes in their mouths. They're like, well, why doesn't anyone want me? 
Do you want to ask if anyone else has something to say? Hodor Hodor's Hodorily. And Theod asks someone to shut him up. It says that if anyone betrays him, they will wish that they hadn't. He threatens them that the men here aren't the whole of his power. Torin Square, Deepwood Mott, and then when his uncle is done, Moat Kaelin will be theirs. If Rob can stave off the Lannisters, he's welcome to be King of the Trident. But House Greyjoy holds the North now. Reek calls out, saying that the Northern Lords will fight him. The pig at White Harbor, the Umbers, the Karstarks, and that he's going to need men. And he says, free me, and I'll be his man. And it's like, why would he want you? But also, I would say that this is fun, because except for the Karstarks, who are wishy-washy because of all the other things that no one could have predicted will happen. And how the Umbers, they kind of play both sides. This is major foreshadowing for who the major players are going to be in Adawada. And I guess the ones that apparently the Boltons have already been scheming around, it seems that Ramsey and Roos... The fact that Reek knows this, as you were saying, right? There's all these giveaways. That Reek knows this off of the top of his head, like, shows that Ramsey and Roos have been planning this strategy already of who they would have to contend with. They've been identifying the lords that they're going to have to go up against. Probably mostly Roos because he knew this longer and Ramsey doesn't give a fuck. He's chaos, but you know. Roos has been sowing this dissent and we see it when he comes to Hall, right? With the Brienne and Jamie interactions and we see he's doing things mm. behind the scenes because it's coming back to the idea of like people believing what they see or hear and hear they're purposefully creating this divide. Who's to say that if Roos hadn't gone about, fucked around, and played around in the background during Rob's war, would there be a divide between them? They could all maybe unite. And it, it does make me hopeful mm. that John maybe might have a chance at reuniting the Northern Lords in the Winds of Winter beneath the Stark banner again after what's kind of been shattered in the main five books and manipulated. Not much left to unite, but... He's like real deep in that Northern culture, you know? He went to the deep north. The real north. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he can prove himself, I guess. His his meat is bloody it's tough. It's rare, yeah. <laughs> Theon thinks he's cleverer than some, but that stench on Reek is bad. Reek is like, well, I could wash. And Theon's like, oh, perfect, bend the knee. And Reek's given a sword. <laughs> Again, Theon sees there's no love for him here. The fact that he gets Osha and Reek. That's it. A servant of someone who's not respected and is a bastard. And then a free folk woman. That's it. That is all that was willing to bend the knee of Winterfell to him, which says a lot about the loyalty for Winterfell being earned, not given. Also, they've seen Theon growing up, right? And they didn't love the way that Theon probably treated them around the castle. And they're like, really, Theon? They're like, you? What the fuck are you Her? doing here? Why are you doing this? Why did you come home to do this? Yeah, it is a little background, too. They're like, oh, I kind of forgot about you, Theon. Huh, you're still around. Huh, you're taking Winterfell. I don't know about that. I don't know about all that. They can't take him seriously because he never treated them with respect. Like, how are they going to respect him when he never respected them during the time? And even while he's taking Winterfell, he's going between... He, he's showing way too much of his own asshole right now, right? Where he's like, love mm -hmm. me and I'll love you. Or I'll make you fear me, fear me. I'll make you fear me, fear, fear, fear. Like he's going in between all these emotions, jumping in between, and he can't just choose one to follow because he's scared. 
because he knows that this was a reckless choice. And he's like, oh, shit, maybe this was a bad idea. And maybe daddy won't be impressed by me, which in the next chapter for Theon, right? Uh, Asha comes and is like, maybe daddy won't respect you, Theon, for doing this. Did you ever <laughs> think of that, Roman Roy? <sighs> <sighs> but he'll never know because daddy's dead. Oh, ding dong, daddy's dead. Bran could not look. The green dream was coming true. Osha steps past Micken's body, swearing to Theon as well. I thought you were a friend, Bran thought, hurt. Theon says he needs fighters, not kitchen sluts. She plays on his emotions and says, Rob put me there. I'm a fighter, ready to fight for you with a spear, not in the kitchen. That's me. I'm kitchen slut. Me too. (laughs) I was thinking that. that. I'm like, do we need shirts that say this? Kitchen sluts. (laughs) Kitchen slut? It is really brilliant, though, from Osha, this this plan. She's like, ooh, an opening, right? But poor Bran, thinking that he's being betrayed again by, like, someone else, another friend in this moment. And I wonder if he will, though, experience that emotion of betrayal again. And I think he probably will. Mm -hmm. I don't know how. Maybe Mira. I don't know. I don't know how. Well, because she'd be mad about Jojen. Yeah. You ate my brother. (laughs) Anyways, but... I think she'll take her spear and go home at some point for sure, which might feel like a betrayal to him if it's the last person he was really connected to. Exactly, exactly. As his emotions change and puberty happens. It's a confusing time for a lot of reasons for Bran. You were the sister I chose. George probably should have made them older. Or not sister. I mean, like, maybe sister in the Lannister turkey. That's what I was thinking. Mm. (laughs) So what Osha does here, though, with, as you have here of, like, playing on Theon's emotions, saying that she was put there. It's really similar to what happens to Jon at around this time in the story, technically the beginning of A Storm mm-hmm. of Swords-ish, whatever. But what he says to convince Mance to take him, right? Did you see where they put me? Somewhere that I felt discontented and unseen. Absolutely. It's very similar, especially by using Rob. She knows there's tension there, and she just digs right in, and it's well mm-hmm. done. And yeah, something kind of that comes up is that she hates being in the kitchen because she gets basically assaulted every day, right? People fondling her against her will. Gage tries to fuck her all the time and slaps her ass with flour and it's annoying. And in the chapter, two chapters ago, Tyrion, in the chapter you have Shay where he wants to send her to the kitchens. He's like, the kitchens would be a good place where instead she's like, what? Well, I don't want to be for Lady... Tanda and Lalis. I don't want to serve for them. I don't want to go to the kitchens. Mm. These are women that don't have other options than to defend themselves, right? Like, Osha is getting an upgrade. She's getting a promotion by doing this to get her out of the kitchens where she's being assaulted all the time. She doesn't want her body to be a free-for-all down there for everybody in the kitchen. She wants to be doing something meaningful. And we know that she's not really betraying for betrayal here, but it does put her in a position where she can get herself free to help the boys, as we see later. In the Tyrion chapter, Mm. uh, the passage with him and Varys, I need to bring Shay into the castle without Cersei becoming aware. He sketches out his kitchen scheme. When he was done, the eunuch makes a clucking sound. I'll do as my lord commands, of course, but I must warn you, the kitchens are full of eyes and ears. Even if the girl falls under no particular suspicion, she'll be subject to a thousand questions. Where was she born? Who were her parents? How'd she come to King's Landing? The truth will never do, so she must lie and lie and lie. He glanced down at Tyrion, and such a pretty young kitchen wench will incite lust as well as curiosity. She'll be touched, pinched, patted, fondled. Potboys will crawl under her blankets of a night. 
Some lonely cook may seek to wet her bakers, will knead her breasts with flowered hands. I'd sooner have her fondled than stabbed, said Tyrion. So, I mean, it's not like a great situation to have to work in the kitchens, but also to have no agency in where you're put. Exactly. That's what happens to Shay. Have no agency where she's put. She gets to serve instead for some uppers, for some, you know, some noble people, which is slightly better, but still in a shitty position. Osha is in a shitty position, no matter where she is. She is. Even on Skagos, that also might be a shitty position. Yeah. But it's not amongst the whites. And yeah, Osha actually tells us that her attitude towards it, you know, like, as you said, she's being fondled, but she... She she can defend herself mm -hmm. more. She has more agency, you know, than Shay would, right? Because Shay has to lie and lie and lie. Osha doesn't have to do all that. Yeah, it it is sad. And like that last line from Tyrion, I'd sooner have her fondled than stabbed. Like, who are you to get to decide what happens to her, yeah. right? And that isn't the job she signed up for. Mm -mm. And where's the pay raise? Yeah, where's the pay raise? Right? Like she's does these things, right? She gets fondled, etc pay like you are subjecting her to this and for what she's not getting anything yeah. out of it so what yeah where's the information about every time she gets fondled in the kitchen how much you're gonna pay her exactly you'll be seeing shay's invoice in the form of court alas and great connection between them so then we have the bald man who killed micken offer osha his spear which does not this does not seem like it's a great position also. But then, thankfully, again, we see Osha knee him in the groin, telling him, you can keep your soft pink thing, and then wrestles the spear from him and knocks him off his feet. And She says, she'll have wood and iron. She's like, this is my spear now. And the Reavers laugh, as does Theon, telling her to keep the spear and just bend the knee. And I don't know, something about this makes me think of Dorne, you know, the, the spear and then the bending of the knee. Yeah, it makes me think a little bit of Obara and her mother and that horrible choice that Oberyn gives her, which isn't a choice, right? Where he beats her mom and says, spear or crying your whole life about this. Not only that, then the whole entire unbowed, unbent, unbroken thematics that surround them. Like Winterfell, when it's burnt down, right? Like, they st Winterfell's still there, it still stands. You can burn it down, but Winterfell will always be there. It's not just a place, it's a people. Yeah. And, of course, when Rhaenys came to Maria Martell, Rhaenys I came to Maria Martell, and Maria said, I will not fight you, nor will I kneel to you. Dorne has no king, tell your brother that. And Rhaenys says, I shall, but we will come again, princess, and the next time we shall come with fire and blood. Maria says, your words, ours are unbowed, unbent, unbroken. You may burn us, my lady, but you will not bend us, break us, or make us bow. This is Dorne. You are not wanted here. Return at your peril. Because it comes back to those same things we talked about at the top of the episode, right? Of there's still hope, and there's still a pride and a certain mm -hmm. respect, and the wolves will come again. Absolutely. And so the chapter ends with... When no one else rushed forward to pledge service, they were dismissed with a warning to do their work and make no trouble. Hodor was given the task of bearing Bran back to his bed. His face was all ugly from the beating, his nose swollen and one eye closed. Hodor! He sobbed between cracked lips as he lifted Bran in huge strong arms and bloody hands and carried him back out into the rain. Oh, that's so sad. He's still doing his duty and protecting his prince, and he's suffering for it. My poor Hodor. Anyone that like hurts Hodor, besides Bran, when he takes over Hodor's body, I am blind. I am deaf. Do not speak to me right now. But 
it just make you don't hurt Hodor. How dare you? I know. How no, I agree. How could you? How could you hurt Hodor? He's just Bran, you're grounded. Bran, you're also kind of grounded. <laughs> Theon's about to be grounded soon. <laughs> That's for sure. That's a way of putting it, Eliana. <laughs> it is a way of putting it. Uh, well, you make me feel grounded on this great day. What will happen next mm, time? What will know. happen next as we finish Clash of Kings? Oh boy. Oh boy. Finish Clash of Kings. Finish the year. Yeah, hell of a year. Well, uh, maybe next year will be better. We could try again next year. Yeah, we can try again next year with when we do Bran in a Storm of Swords. Yeah. I love Bran in a Storm of Swords. You think you think yeah. that I loved Clash of Kings, Bran? Well, just hold on oh to your gosh. horses. Rain them up, because Storm of Swords Bran Chloe is peak. Peak love Bran. Peak. I was gonna say, like, hold on to your horses or hold on to your elks, but that that's more of, like... Yeah, it's a little more a but you could hold on to them, too. I'm an equal opportunity uh, steed <laughs> member. I love all steeds. Big, small, dancer, prancer, whatever their names are. Indeed. Indeed. Well, if you want to see... What steeds we hold on to. You can subscribe to us on social media, twitter.com slash girlsgonecanon, that's C-A-N-O-N. Or you can send us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. And if you're just looking for updates on our episodes coming out, right, if you're looking for that notification on your phone from your favorite podcast platform instead of social media or email you can thank you thank you you can check us out and give us a follow a like a review over at spotify google play itunes stitcher acast iHeartRadio, pandora audible amazon podcasts and more And, of course, somewhere that you can definitely always find us, whether it's our usual weekly episodes or our bonus episodes once a month, is on Patreon. Patrons in the $5 tier and above get access to our special bonus episodes. This month is George R. R. Martin's novella, The Ice Dragon. Can't wait. Can't wait. And hey, if you are in the Thunder tier or above, that's 10 bucks and up at our Patreon, you get access to special events and our private discord server which is basically a lifetime access if you don't fuck it up but this month we will be doing brunch if you're listening to this we might be doing it right now on december 18th from 2 to 4 p.m eliana time we will be meeting on the discord to chit chat in the voice chat with all our patrons and friends and play some reindeer games and i cannot wait it's gonna be a blast i can't wait for it absolutely well, it's been it's been real. As always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. We'll be back, same bat time, same bat place, to close out the year. Stranger Danger. We'll be back stranger with Stranger danger. danger next week. Oh, wait. No, never mind. <laughs> Goodbye. I got confused. <laughs> Bye.